pounds, which I was too, too skinny. But I got to fit into a size 32, which I haven't been a 32 since I was in high school. I'm usually a 33 or 34. So I was looking for jeans the other night because I, I was going to wear them because it was colder. And it's unbelievable. I have like I have like six pairs of 32s and the rest are 33s. And I it's unbelievable what an inch difference makes. I felt like such a fat pig trying to put these on. <laughs> like they, I, couldn't, I couldn't even button them up or zipping them up. And I'm thinking... I have all these jeans now and you, I want to give them back to the, like, I want to give them to the Salvation Army. But then I think in my head, which I know it's not going to happen. No, I can get back to a 32 <laughs> and I'm thinking, well, I'll have to get sick again and go to the hospital. <laughs> anyway, enough about that. Uh, uh, my, my, my guest today actually ha- came in wearing a very dapper hat and I, you know, I'm a hat guy. It's John Prosky. How you doing, John? I'm doing okay. My understanding is it's called a Twilby. But the hat? The hat is actually, I walked into an appointment recently and they said, oh, nice Twilby. And I was like, uh, what? What, why, why, I mean, why do they call it a Twilby? I it? have no idea, but apparently that style of hat, of snap brim, uh, that is a short snap brim with a low low uh, crown, is a Twilby. So now, now, you know, now you know something. Now, because I, I have like two of yeah, them at home. I'm you have Twilbies. I'm going to go, I got Twilbies. <laughs> yeah, I, I got Twilbies. When you no, say no, that, no. it sounds like you got dogs. Yeah. I got or, two Twilbies. Or, 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 yeah, have something. You have Twilbies. I got the D's <laughs> almost. Like, right. I got I got Twilbies. <laughs> well, don't don't drink out of this bar. Get out of here. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, so I mean, it's funny. I, I, I found John. I, he's amazing career. I mean, I, I, anytime I go into IMDb and, and anyone has over seventy-five credits, I go, mm-hmm. "Wow, you like I think one hundred and forty." Yeah. And I go, anytime I sit there and go, I mean, seventy-five is amazing. But when I see someone who has like a hundred, I go, "Well, when you're breaking that one twenty-five, that's when I sit there and I go, this guy, I have to get him on my show.'" Oh. And it's just no, it's just a thing. I mean, because you, you think about it as an actor, and you've you've acted for a long time. That's you know, most people, if, if you have. For me, like mm. if, if you had 15 credits on IMDb, that's one thing. Mm. But I mean, 140. I mean, I mean, as I mean, just how does that make you feel? It must make you feel accomplished, even though so many actors are like, oh, I, I, I got to do this. But it must make me make, make you feel great. It, well, yeah, yeah. It's funny. I don't think about it much. I do. I, you know, it's. I I gotta say, I do like being on a set. You know, I, I know actors who get panicked on sets. I love being on a set. You know, you get your free haircut, your free gum. Exactly. You know what I mean? You get paid well. And uh, occasionally you get challenging stuff to do. So I love it. I love now, it. now, how'd you get into acting? As a kid, did you want to act? Or you your know, father acted? My father was an actor and he was a stage actor for, I mean, before he went into films, he was just a stage actor in Washington, D.C. I grew up on Capitol Hill, seven blocks from the Capitol. Uh, and my dad, I had a much more stable lifestyle than all my buddies who had parents who were lobbyists and congressmen. You know, my dad was always at the table. He used to come to our soccer games. You know what I mean? And I'd have friends who had much richer fathers, but they never saw them, you know? So it was an interesting contradiction that the son of a stage actor had a much more stable situation than uh, my buddies. And, uh, you know, I always wanted to do it. I always wanted to do it, but I I knew my father would not be interested in having his sons be actors. So it's Why? A, it's just, is there a certain reason or? Yeah, he, you know, well, you know, my dad was, I don't think anybody would argue me when I say that, you know, when my father was working on stage and film, he was like the Michael Jordan of character men of his era. He was a heck of a, a character guy uh, and an even better father. And he just, he knew, he used to say to us often, you know, I'm unique. I got a consistent job. I'm in one town. The life of an actor is a gypsy lifestyle, you know, um, uh, and, and there are all sorts of vices that one can easily get into because there's so much downtime. You know, uh, there's that famous story about apparently uh, 
Robert Duvall, when he was working with Dennis Hopper on Apocalypse Now, uh, he, he looked, took one look at Dennis Hopper, all hopped up, and said, "You need a hobby." Right. <laughs> <laughs> you know, so. Well, did did but, they like send Dennis Hopper home from Apocalypse Now? I, I mean, think that, they did. That's how bad. <laughs> that's I mean, when you get sent, I mean, you think Charlie Sheen? I mean, Martin Sheen had a heart attack during the shooting. Yeah, and that scene where he smacks in the window, he is drunk. Okay. When, so, you know, it's pretty crazy, but when you get sent home mm. from something like that, you and, go, and the director's doing bucket loads of Coke anyway, right. yeah, then it's bad. <laughs> it's bad. You're really out of hand. Yeah. Yeah. So anyway, dad was, you know, he was not interested in having his boys do that. So it took me a while to be able to look him in the eye and say, I want to be an actor. And of course he said, no, <laughs> you know, but I, I, I proved that I, that I really wanted to do it, you know? And so he, after that supported me a hundred percent. Well, now how old were you when you decided, when you told him that, I mean, as a kid, was it in your blood yeah. that you wanted to do? It? I mean, it was in your blood, but did you, but how long, how old were you when you told him? I remember him? the exact moment when I, th- I thought to myself, I have to to look him in the eye and say, I want to be, and I was literally on a wilderness survival course. Cause I didn't know what I wanted to do with my life. You know, I'd gone to Jesuit high schools and, uh, well, how old were you? I was 17, 17, okay. 18 years old, you know? Yeah. And I just, yeah, I, I was on a outward bound. I don't know if you ever heard of it. Outward bound. Yeah. I've heard of it. Yeah, yeah. So I was on outward bound. I was on solo, which is where they put you out in the wilderness with nobody around you, no food for four days and four nights. And I, and they tell, and I was sick. And they tell you, don't sleep during the day because you'll be up at night. And you don't want to be up at night by yourself in the wilderness, particularly if there's no moon. You know, it's just Scary. terrifying. <laughs> yeah. So I uh, was sick. So I slept during the day. And I woke up in the middle of the night. And I was terrified. And I, I literally got through that night. I remember when the dawn came, I was like, what, am, what else am I scared of? Oh, yeah. I'm scared of telling my father I want to be an actor. <laughs> So I thought, I'm just going to get off the ferry. When I get home, I'm going to tell him I'm going to be an actor. And of course, I did that. And he was like, no. <laughs> so, so, how do you, how, so how do you react to that when your dad says no? You, how do you, do you have to twist his arm? I, or? I, I basically, you know, it was the way I got him to give me a driver's license. He didn't want me to have any of his boys have a driver's license either, but I just stuck with it. I was like, I'm going to do this, dad. I'm going to do it. And he finally, I mean, he, he was just mostly concerned with making sure that we did not become... You know, the, you know, I teach incarcerated youth right now, and the reason I do it is probably the ghost of my father. He really wanted uh, us to be doing things that made a difference, you know. And and I do feel like I make a difference as an actor, but not often, you know, because more often what you're asked to do uh, on film and television is you're selling something, you know, you're 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 selling cars or beer, or you're selling to the lowest common denominator. And occasionally, you know, maybe 30% of the time, the, the, the work is worth doing and it says something. But for the most part, what you're doing is is uh, is selling something. You know, so I, I uh, uh, you know, decided that I got to do something along with it. You know, so I, I teach Shakespeare and uh, writing to incarcerated youth at my own program uh, for, uh, for Antius Theater. Now, how did you get into that? Just uh, just up the up for your career for a second. How did mm-hmm. you get into something like that? Because it sounds so different, and yeah. it's like something that people don't sit there and go, "Oh yeah, what what are you what are you gonna do this weekend? I'm right. gonna go t- see how I can teach how to." J- I mean, it's like thugs. Yeah, I'm gonna go yeah, find thugs, yeah, and I'm gonna, gonna teach go, them Shakespeare. I, I, it's better in jail. It's better in jail because they won't attack me. If I just go down the skid row, they're gonna be like, "What are you doing?" But no. So I mean, how do you get into? It? I mean, how does you get you go and pitch an idea to a uh, That's a good question. I kind of fell into it. I fell into it because there was a theater company I was in and they wanted to start a program for uh, 
you know, there's all these camp systems in, in Malibu that are young men who are placed there. They're incarcerated for crime, whatever, you know. And so I've been doing it now for about 17 years. Uh, and I'm addicted. You know, I, I, I probably get a whole lot more out of it than they do. But uh, I, I do feel like uh, I'm making a difference somehow. You know what I mean? Um, so I fell into it. And I have my own program now. It's uh, it's called the Odyssey Artists Workshop in Antius. And it's through Antius Theater. I noticed you... Uh, you uh, interviewed Tony Amendola. Tony Amendola. Amendola. Yeah, I just saw Amendola. I we, was like, that was Amendola. It's the Amendola. He was on uh, two weeks ago. Was it yeah. two weeks ago? Yeah. And he was, because uh, it's funny, he caught my eye because he went to Temple, University right. of Temple. My mom graduated Temple. But my so mom, did Pop. Pop went so to Temple. My mom graduated in 1952. Wow. And uh, she was a marketing major. Uh-huh. And back then there wasn't, she was the only woman in her class. Wow. And it was just, yeah. So I saw, but I saw, that's like anything. I see a picture, hey. And I hit him up. So yeah, yeah. so now, do you know Tony? Well, Tony's in the same theater company I'm in. We're in Antius together. And the program that we have is a uh, is through Antius Theater, the uh, Incarcerated Youth Shakespeare program. Yeah. yeah, it's through Antius. And we're both in the same company. We were in a, a play together, oh, I don't know, about four or five years ago, Cousin Bet. Okay. Tony, yeah. Mm-hmm. Now, now back to your career. So mm-hmm. when you decided, because theater is, you got involved in theater, that's why you ended up yeah. doing, that's one of the reasons it led to you also doing the incarceration, because right, if, yeah. if you weren't a theater actor, yeah. it wouldn't work. It's like, right, hey, yeah. you're doing commercial auditions. Hey, act like you're selling something. <laughs> so your father decides you can act. He yeah. says, okay, you got the green light. Yeah. So now what do you do? You're in D.C. Do you decide to go to New York or do you say, I'm stay in D.C.? And I, there's probably pressure if you stay in D.C. Oh, my God, yeah. You're, it's like it's be like being Cal Ripken's son trying oh, to play in Baltimore. Exactly. Because your I'm, father's a legendary actor in, in Baltimore, and, you, and I mean, D.C., and so everyone knows him. Right. And then his son, they go, and then you have to worry about right. other actors going, oh, you got the part. So what do you do? Where, do you decide to stay well, there or do you decide to move? It's <laughs> a good question. You know, I remember... Dad, when he acquiesced, he's like, okay, you know, why don't you come down to Arena Stage and you can local job? And they put in small, uh, smaller roles for local jobbers. You make, uh, you know, whatever, uh, minimum wage. And I remember the company there always would bust my balls by doing stuff like, they would do these invitations on me that were not me, but I, I, I clearly, it, I realized, oh, this is my future. Uh, they would go, <laughs> this one actor would go, Daddy, I want a bigger role. Daddy, I don't like my costume. Daddy, can you you know what I mean? I was like, oh Christ! So I uh, I realized I got to leave DC because this is my dad's town. You know what I mean? So I went to Rutgers, which is outside of New York. Oh, yeah, I, I got a um, you know a BFA that and five bucks to get you a cup of coffee. Yeah, but you know who else has a uh, BFA from Rutgers? Oh. Uh, John Ailes, oh, an yeah. actor. He's an, uh, oh yeah. Calista Flockhart. Calista Flockhart. And, yeah. and Molly uh, Molly Price. That's right. Molly Price. I work with her on uh, The 11th Hour. She yeah. she dated uh, a friend of mine years ago. Yeah. Back like when we were like just out of college. Wow. Yeah. yeah she's awesome. Yeah. So, she's so, a great so, broad. So, so you went to Rutgers. Yeah. Went to Rutgers. Which is it, a very good school. It is. Uh, it is. It's a great school. And it's it's even better now than it was on. I went there. It's I've gotten a couple of buddies of mine. They're, they're my kids who are ready to go to college and I highly recommended uh, Rutgers because that's a great great program and it's well anyway and then I graduated and I went to New York uh, for about five years and I realized wow I that's when I finally started working I was never in New York you know I was home maybe 
well, well, two months out of the year. Were and you doing theater? A lot of theater. So a lot of... Uh, and at that point, there was not much film and television there because of union problems. I did a movie of the week right out of college. And then all I did after that was theater for five years. And I was just like, wow, this is, this is hard. I can't have a dog. I can't... I don't have a house. I'm broke all the time. I can't keep a relationship going, you know? And I was like, well, I'll give LA a, a shot. So so did you just said, I'm getting up and moving to LA. Did you know people out here? I, I had a manager who is now my agent. He was my manager back then, Michael Green. And he brought me out here in 1990. And I've been here ever since. I've gone back occasionally to do, I did some off-Broadway. I've done some rep theater. I worked at, you know, Walnut Street Theater in Philly. And uh, arena stage once or twice, and uh, you know, uh, I did some stuff off Broadway, Lucille Lortel. But I, I, this is my home right now. Yeah. So, so when you moved out here, are you still going to concentrate on stage, or are you saying I'm moving to LA to do the TV and movies? I mean, because you come out and it's, yeah. it's something new for you. Because as I always say, it's a big transition right. because stage and you know theater that's work yeah. in the beginning. Out here, you know, as you see, it's like hey. Hey, okay, do this scene. Ah, we don't like it. Do it again. You know, yeah. stage, you're like, okay. Or, hey, yeah. you know, we got to change the camera angle. Right. Here, it's like you forget your lines on stage. Yeah, you're screwed. You're Deal right. with it. Ad lib. Do right. something. Yeah, right, right. So, so what was your focus when you moved out here? Well, my focus out here was literally, I am going to find a way to make a living as an actor and stay in one town. You know, I trained to be a rep actor. And once I got out of college, most of those rep companies were gone. And they're certainly gone now. You know what I mean? So I came out here to work in film and television, hopefully, and do some theater at local theaters uh, to, you know, f feed my soul, as it were, and, and, and stay in one place. And I was able to do that. I started working pretty soon after I got here and uh, bought a house and I can send my 12-year-old boy to a private school. And uh, I'm very grateful for the money that Hollywood pays. Now, when you got here, what kind of roles were you going up for? I mean, were you doing commercials or anything? Or just... No, it was mostly, you know, uh see. Because uh, I look at your Young thing. cops. A lot of young cops. I was doing a lot of young, young cops. And... So I'm, I'm looking at your IMDb and you're, yeah. you're on Dream On, which yeah. is a great show. I love that yeah, show. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And just life goes on and just different things. My so-called yeah. life. I mean, what, yeah, you're playing cops? Yeah, young cops. And then the, I've had a lot of niches. For a long time, I did nothing but bookies. I did a recurring on Chicago Hope as Mark Harmon's bookie, and then a recurring on on uh, Beverly Hills 90120 as a Bart the bookie, and then it's the hat. It's the hat. It's a Twilby. It's a Twilby. It's a Twilby. <laughs> See Twilby. bookies and Twilbies. That's a new commercial. Get the get the get the bookie collection uh, from the Twilby from whatever. Right. Yeah. So and then now my niche and it is my niche and you gotta have a gimmick. My niche is asshole in a suit. That's what I do. I do asshole in a suit. Now, you can be a senator, a congressman, a hotel manager, a lawyer, banker, whatever. That's my niche, you know. So now how did it get to that? I mean, you think? Yeah. I mean, in the beginning, I mean, going from a bookie because bookies are something like you know what you like a bookie, right? Because you know, bookies, you know, they 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 have an ugly blazer usually, or yeah. they just, but you like a bookie, right? Yeah, yeah. And, and when you're younger, so I'm saying, looking, you know, you played some esquires and stuff like that. You yeah. Said, I mean, and you go from being a cop, which in my eyes, especially in Hollywood, you know, who who is a cop to an asshole in a suit are quite very different looks. Yeah. Very different. So, I mean, I mean, well, I know but you played a nutty, the doctor and a nutty professor. Oh, yes, indeed. So yeah, a lot of doctors, too. A lot of doctors. So I just did doc a doctor and straight out of Compton. I'm in the, I'm the, it's funny. If you look at that credit, it says young doctor, which is 
strange. Well, I guess there's like Dr. Dre, he's got his rap handle, and mine is Young Doctor. Yeah, that's, you're, yeah right, right. Yeah, you're, you're, you're Young Dr. Prosky. <laughs> young Dr. That, that's your street cred. Yeah, you're YDP. You're YDP. That's your nickname. <laughs> so when you see, when you talk to your son, hey, I'm YDP. No, what? what? Don't worry about it. Your, your friends will know. They will know, they will know what you're talking about. So, so now, when you when you start acting on the TV and movies, now, uh-huh. what is the transition for you just coming from, as I said, a theater background? It, mm-hmm. it has to be something where, you know, on theater, you can really bare your soul. Yeah. In these scripts, sometimes you can't, I mean, you, right. you have to look at it and you have to go, and if you overplay it, because sometimes you know, it's just the way life is, sometimes people aren't always the best actors in a show, but they get a certain role for a certain look, and, and that's fine, it's anything in life. You know, you right. can be a, a crappy lawyer, but if you're really good looking, you might get a job at a good firm. It's right. just, you know, but now how does it, for, for I mean, for, especially when you're younger, because you're out here, you come from the background, mm-hmm. your father was an amazing stage actor, so you have it in your blood, and you you, you know what good work is. You yeah. know what an actor is supposed to do. Mm-hmm. How's it when you start getting on set, and if, you, if you're with someone, and you really can't do what you really want to do because you can show someone. How did how did you deal with that as a young actor? Because you probably had to run into it a few times. Yeah, it is an interesting transition back and forth between stage and, and film. And the the best advice I got was from Pop, and he was like, in terms of acting, the difference is uh, your audience is right next to you on film. They're right next to you. And they're this close. They're an inch away from your face. So you, you can't play your moments. You got to think them. You know, if you play your moments, it's going to look massive because your proscenium is three inches around your head. You know, don't use your body. Don't move your head. Don't blink. And whatever you do is got huge quotation marks around it. So, you know, your audience is one person, a couple inches from your face. You know, so that's that's the easiest part. That, that transition takes some technique but it's easy to make if you're a good actor um did that answer your question i'm sorry was yeah but i was also saying though what is it like when you have to pull back a little bit it's like yeah. anything like you know if if you know michael jordan is playing against someone for a charity benefit right he's not he, he's gonna pull his stuff yeah pull back what's it like when you probably have to pull back sometimes because oh, yeah. you are trained and there's some you know as we would call them in comedy a hack right <laughs> but just saying but you can't you know you can't make that person look bad because no. it's their show how as an actor can you how do you tone it down i mean how do you put it in your mind and go okay i, I really can't go on 10 cylinders i have to go on eight right i mean was it would that be hard for you i think it's interesting it's that's a very good question very good question and and ultimately the you walk on a set not a stage you walk on a set and more often than not i'm gonna say hmm six out of every 10 times you kind of bring i'm gonna say half of what you can do you know uh on stage you got to bring it all you know you gotta uh you gotta fight the bull um on a set you you kind of you you just gotta relax because anything can happen and uh you don't know what you're working with uh so you i guess as I said, you, you get you bring maybe fifty percent of yourself. You know what I mean. And then occasionally you get writing by Sorkin, or you get writing by I don't know. Uh, David Kelly used to do a lot of stuff, and you've got to bring your full load again. You know what I mean. So it's interesting. That's why I like it. Yeah, it's but, always different. Yeah, yeah. well, that's thing. But also, but I see. You know, now Chicago Hope was your, pretty much your first recurring role. Mm-hmm. Now, what is it like? I mean, when you sit there and you're 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 working. Yeah. Which you know, hey, that's what y'all want work. Right, right. And yeah. you're and you're working a lot. Like you know, when you look and you see you have. 
12 credits in, in one year. Okay. Yeah. Well, you know, that that's for an actor. That, that's a lot of work. Yeah. It's because that's a lot of shows. And, and back then, especially because there wasn't as many shows and projects. Right. What was it like when you finally did, did they, did you know it was going to be recurring and were you like, all right, or did you, you kind of never know. I'm doing scandal right now. I just did my fourth episode. You know, if the writers come up to you on the set and go, oh my God, we talk about you all the time in the room. Then you know something's going to happen. Or if the wardrobe goes, uh, we're building you a closet. When you hear that, you're like, oh, go, okay, good. I got a couple more coming. <laughs> so, 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 so you, you sit there and they get, yeah, so that's going to be right. good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, yeah, it is good. It's, so, a, it's like, cha-ching, great. And yeah. that's funny because you look and you all know the movies you've done. You've done, I mean, you no. did, I mean, what was it like doing, you know, The Nutty Professor? That was wonderful. I mean, I, it was a great time. I, I, you know, basically, I, I played the doctor who gets swallowed by Eddie Murphy's butt crack in, right. the, in, the, in the nightmare that he has. And uh, what was interesting to me about that particular project was, why am I blanking on this guy's name? The guy who won the Oscar for the makeup. What is his name? Uh, oh, my gosh. He's an infamous. He did American Werewolf in London. Great movie. Yeah. He, he was the guy with the most power on that set at that point. And Eddie Murphy, my understanding was there was supposed to be everybody else. The family was supposed to be a real family. And Murphy said, I want to do all my family, which is what makes that movie great. Right. And so they went to this guy and he said, yeah, I could do that for you. And that's that's how that happened, because he said, yeah, I'll do it. And you can tell how powerful somebody is on a movie set by when they walk on the set. The guy who walks on last is the king. Okay. So... The director, Tom Shajak, who was, you know, he'd done a couple things, but he wasn't the king. He set up everything with a double. And then they said, are we ready for Mr. Murphy? Yeah, we're ready for Mr. Murphy. So they bring Eddie on. And Eddie looks amazing. He's, you know, 300 pounds. And I can't see any seams in the makeup whatsoever. We block the scene with him. And then they say, are we ready for the makeup guy? I'm so sorry. I can't remember his name. So he comes on last. And what he does is he just looks at Eddie and tells his uh, people to do this, do that, do that, and then walks off, and then they shoot. I was like, yeah, this is that's power. So now, now what's it like getting swallowed by an escort? <laughs> <laughs> it's gooey. It's gooey. No, because it's, it's it, part of you know it's makeup, so it's got to be. Especially back then, it's not like now, like right. You know, they get you can do it. Oh, you can do it on the computer back right. then. No, actually, that was one of the first green screens I ever worked in front. Oh, of. Really? That was a green screen. Uh, basically, I stood in front of a green screen and I screamed. And uh, then I squished up against a, a, a large plate glass window and froze, and they did the rest with computers. Yeah. See, that's great, though. Yeah. That's just cool. Yeah. Now, you also, you were in one a movie, I love, you played a cop in Permanent Midnight. Oh, yeah, yeah, right. That's now, an awesome movie. That's now, a great movie. And uh, Jerry Stahl's actually been on the show. Oh, has he? And, yeah. Uh, yeah, and he's just, you know, he's a crazy life. He said, were, yeah. you, were, you, were you one of the cops when they found the, him in I the was car the one, with the baby? Yes, okay. I was that cop. Very, very, you know, as, as, as an actor, there has to be something where... Well, Jerry Stahl even said when he was on the set, like when they shot that scene, nah. like everyone just looked at him like, you, you piece of oh, crap. Yeah, you know? right. And what's it like? I mean, as as you're playing a cop, but mm -hmm. you, you know, what's it like for you as an actor sitting there? And I, we even know it's Ben Stiller. Right. But you're knowing the guy's there, the regular guy. Right. It, what would you, Did you just have like a total like disdain for Jerry just because you're like, you actually did this? Because people, if you don't right. know the scene, Jerry Jerry's character, Jerry Stahl, he yeah. goes to get score and he leaves his baby in a car right so i mean what's that like playing and he's driving around downtown la with a baby in the car seat next to him high as a kite and, and downtown's not like it is now. no it's no. awful and, yeah and so he gets pulled over by cops and the cop i'm the cop and i take one look at him 
first question I have was, when was the last time you changed the baby? Right. I was like, <laughs> the high as a kite, oh, you know how it is, officer. You know how kids are. I was like, all right, get out of the car, asshole. <laughs> you know, and then we get social services down to take the baby. But uh, you know what? I, uh, I don't know. You know, Jerry Stahl at that point was clean. And right. He was telling his story. And what I say to my guys that I teach in the facilities is, if you don't tell your story, you can be trapped by it. And that is the road to recovery, is telling your story. You know, so uh, I totally respected him, uh, you know. And, and you know, to be able to have your life story made into a movie. Right. Uh, it's not, he's in a good place. <laughs> I don't have any pity for him whatsoever. I know. Yeah, and yeah. then uh, you're also, yeah. uh, you're on both fingers. Yeah. Now, now, did that come because Eddie was also in that? Yes, he was. Now, actually, did did, did did he rem- remember you? Oh, yes, or, he did. Or did he sit? To, did 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 you partially get the part because of that? Because no, then you're, you're working with two heavyweights, you, right, Eddie yeah. and Steve Martin. I mean, it right. doesn't get better than that. Yeah, my story about that was Frank Oz. You know, my the name of my character was Suit, and basically, Mind Head, which is the subplot in that thing where Terrence Stamp plays the head of Scientology, a Scientological kind of thing. Uh, I played his Roy Cohn, his evil familiar, and they cut an awful lot of that stuff because, for whatever reasons. Right. And uh, <laughs> and uh, anyway, uh, Frank Oz decided, you know, we need a name for this character, and he turned to Steve Martin when he was setting up a shot and said, "Steve, what's uh, not suit? What's this guy's character's name?" And Steve Martin went, uh, "Elaine." And so Frank Waz went, okay, uh, Elaine, you go here. So literally on that set, my name was Elaine. Well, that's always good. And, and so when Murphy got on the set, I was reintroduced to him. He's like, oh, yeah, you were the guy from Nutty Professor. And I was like, yeah. So we're working for half a day, and he turns to me, and he goes, I thought your name was Prosky. And I was like, yeah. He's like, why are they calling you Elaine? <laughs> I was like, I don't, you know, it's a joke. I guess it's, it's a joke. And he, said, and he goes, <laughs> he goes and this is the difference between a character guy and a star. And he goes, damn. And you let him? You're like, and I was like, yeah, I'm not Eddie Murphy. I got to let him. <laughs> you know, so. It's funny because, as I said, I always look at the IMDb. And, and now it's funny is that I would never think that in the last four months, I've had, you're the fourth person who was in strip mall. Strip mall? She says you're in strip mall. Oh, strip mall. Strip I thought you said strip ball. Yeah, yeah, I was in strip mall. Yeah, Because yeah. I, I had Jolie yeah. Brown on, I had Jim O'Hare on, oh, I wow. had Amy Hill on. Oh, and, great. And Amy Hill. I love Amy Hill. And that must have been She's great because a... that, that, they, they both, all of them said that was such a great show to work on because yeah. it was just, by the, by the time it got, you know, it just went crazier it and crazier. It did. Yeah. That yeah, was fun. It was great. Now, I, what, now, now, it's because the thing is in your career, I've noticed, you know, you, well, you, of course, you play the cop, but you're mm-hmm. doing Nutty Professor. You're doing, you're doing more comedy. Even I'm sure, you know, in Chicago, I hope your, your character, a bookie, bookie's going to be, has to be a little bit comic relief, especially, I mm-hmm. think, when it's dealing with a t- topic of someone has a gambling problem. You can't right. have the guy be like, oh, yeah, you know, you have yeah. to give me. So then all of a sudden, you end up on the practice. Right. So now, now, is that, is that something that, uh, your agents push for you, or you, did you say you, you were you don't really want to do comedy or anything, or you just it just you fell into it? No, it's interesting. That's that is a good question. It's the conundrum of like I used to do a lot of comedy, but I started to do a lot of hour episodic, and suddenly I'm looked at the guy who does no, he just does drama, you know. So uh, uh, the transition into practice was because I knew our Arvin Brown who was directing those episodes. And he's a theater guy. He ran the Long Wharf Theater forever. So that's how I ended up with that role. 
And I started doing recurrings on our dramas and suddenly all my comedy dried up. You know what I mean? So, and at this point I've done very little comedy, very little comedy in the last, I'm going to say seven or eight years. One, because a lot of sitcom left. And now because I'm the guy who does the hour episodic, you know, I'm not the uh, comedy guy anymore. So. No. Now, now, as you were all, all this time, as you're acting, you know, going from comedy to the dramas and you know, the practice and all that, are you still doing theater? Or are you trying to? Oh, yeah. Are you, I mean, but now, how do you balance that? I mean, how do you sit there? I mean, it's like anything, you know, you 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 need to make a living, right? And a a play takes a while, and out here, it's small theater. I mean, right. mostly because exactly, you know, you know, so you're not getting paid on a lot of it's, you know, like the whole prop ninety nine thing. You're not absolutely you know, yeah. like that. So how do you sit there, you know, how do you, how could you back then, because it's it, you want to make money and you're an yeah. actor, but you you got to make your money. Right. How could you commit when, when you committed to a play, because I'm sure it's like anything when you commit to a play, it's it's a team. You right. Know, and, and the people depend on you. And it's like you guys aren't doing it for millions of dollars. You're doing it for the love of the craft. Right, right. How do how would that work? I mean, would you just stop auditioning during that time? Or you'd say, if I don't, I mean, would you have to sit there and make a conscious choice to say, okay. I'm going to book a bunch of work, even if it's crap. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm going to, I want to make as much money as I can in two months mm-hmm. where I can get a month and a month and a half. Is that something you would do? Would take some jobs you might not, wouldn't have taken normally, but because you wanted to get back on theater, you, on stage, you would have to do that? Yeah. Uh, well, okay. Here's the deal. Uh, at this point, you know, I'm all about healthcare. I'm all about my son's private school and paying the mortgage. So ultimately, Hollywood takes precedence. And the beautiful thing about L.A., at least up until these labor issues with the nine-nine seat plan contract for theater, is that you do theater for the art and the love of it. And then if you get a job in Hollywood, you go do that. And they and that's the reason why at Antius, which is my baby, that's my theater. Um, you know, I'm on the board. I'm the head of education outreach. Everything, everything is double cast. There's not a junior varsity cast and a varsity cast, there's two casts. And what that enables really fine actors to do is practice their craft and make a living. Um, uh, You know, Tony Amendola, Harry Groner, Ari Gross, uh, Seamus Deaver, you know, these, these are actors who work all the time on film and television. But, you know, right now, Ari Gross is doing Aquavania at, at Antias. And Ari's, so is Harry, Harry Groner. Ari's been on. Ari's yeah, a guy, he's yeah. awesome. Yeah, so so that's that's what we had previously to this union strife. Now, we've been given a membership carve-out, and we're grateful for that. But I, I don't think it's over, so we'll see what happens. It's interesting now, times. Now, how did you get involved in the Antaeus? Uh, Dakin Matthews, who started it, uh, he invited me in. I was He was the judge on the practice, and he invited me to come down and... Uh, and do a workshop of a play, and they asked me in. And that was how long ago? Good God. 97? 97, something like that, yeah. Well, it's great the fact that, you know, especially because in L.A., you, you know, you'll, especially if, like, you drive through NoHo, mm-hmm. you know, you'll see, you'll see like, I know guys from years ago who were in certain theater troops, and now yeah. that stuff's gone. But oh, yeah. Then, but now it's, like, it's great that it stayed. It's also, like, Theater West has stayed. Oh, yeah. Stuff like mm-hmm. that. I mean, what, what, why do you think you're, what has made Antius different where it has stayed, especially in a town that's so fickle, especially mm-hmm. in a town that a lot of, you, you tell people, hey, I went to see a play in North, huh? What? This playhouse? <laughs> I mean, you know, people don't know. I mean, it's right. like, you know, yeah. and there's, and there's little theaters and, and then of course in LA, a lot of times, and this is just little theaters. They try to be 
too hip. You know, it's like, oh, mm-hmm. we're going to get so hip, and right. uh, people are going to come out, we're going to have flaming, zombie, zombie, whatever crap right. like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. How, why do you think your theater has lasted so long in a town that is so fickle and in a town that doesn't really support theater? Right. That's, I think a couple reasons. One is it's the company. It's the board. It's the the fact that, you know, everybody is... It's a classical theater, too. And on some level, people really feel it's called, you know, the Antius Classical Theater Company. And so what we do is Shakespeare Chekhov. Uh, it, it is a large definition of classical. Uh, for instance, we do a wonderful play called Parapolis, um in conjunction with the Boston Court, which is the only thing classical about it is it took place in 1920 in certain scenes, you know. So it's a, 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 a large, diverse. But here's the deal. Theater is in such trouble fiscally uh, as an art form that a lot of classical work, unless it's a Shakespeare festival, can't afford to be done by the rep theaters because the casts are too big. You know, it used to be that, you know, people wrote a play and it was de rigueur to put 12 characters, you know, and there's great theater that is based on that. And these theaters can't do it because it's just too expensive. So that, we see that as part of our calling to present those pieces that the uh, larger theaters can't afford to do anymore, you know? And it's funny to walk in that room at Antaeus, and not only is it a big cast, but there's two actors for every cast. So there's literally twice, there's like 40 people in the room who are working on a play, and that's a beautiful thing. No, no, you say there's two casts. Yes. Okay, and so are are they cast... Two separate casts. Yes. And, but then what happens if this guy, one guy can't do it? Will this guy jump from this cast and do it in this cast? Even though he doesn't have, it must be hard as an actor because if you're in one cast, you're used to doing your acting with that cast. Like, it'd be like anything. If there's like, you know, as you say, you know, first team and second team, not, even though they're not. But you're used to working with the second team. Right, yeah. And then you go to the first team. And so, I mean, how does it, is it a hard transition? And is, do, do people fumble sometimes just because you get you have all the trust in these other people yeah. and then you go into this and it's probably, they're also probably going, well, no, you know, we, we like John. Who's right. this guy taking John's? I mean, exactly. not that they want to do that, but it's just, it's a trust. Is that, has that caused any friction? Well, it's interesting. That's a, that's a constant conversation within the company. I will say this about it. Uh, it, it's great for an actor to walk on stage and be thrown a curveball. Because what it does is it keeps you spontaneous. It keeps you listening. You know what I mean? You can't rest on your laurels of what you know, how you know a scene should go if you're working with somebody who's completely different. So it's it's actually wonderful as an acting exercise. Um, we have a really strong company. And all of us have worked together a lot. So we know each other. Um, so we are an ensemble. And that word gets thrown around a lot. But we are an ensemble. Um, we do have mixed casts, so there are two casts, and they perform on uh, Saturday and Sunday, and then everything is mixed up on Thursday and Friday. So we're, we 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 don't stop working with the other cast, you know. There's all these sort of potpourri things that happen on Thursday and Friday, and then you have your own cast on Saturday and Sunday. So now, as you're the going theater, then I saw you were in ER, so then yeah. you have to go back to a set, which I said one of the shows that is well written. Yeah, it's like. Do you sit there and, and when you, do you do you miss the theater when you go onto the onto the stage or if it's a good project like ER yeah it must be you know it must be an easy transition yeah well I'd love to be challenged good God give me a challenge yeah so uh, you're right I don't like for instance on Scandal right now 
That's pretty good writing. And they want it fast. And they will give you speeches. You'll have a page you have to say. And when you get on the set, they're like, pick it up, pick it up, pick it up. So that's a challenge. And that's fun, you know. So uh, I love working on Scandal. That's, that's, a, that's a hoot. Um, so, yeah. Well, how, did that, how did that role come about? Was it also, was it going to be one role or was it? I got to be honest with you, Steve. I have no idea. Did you, I, all, you went and auditioned? I, or? If I had auditioned for it, I don't think I had gotten it. I have no, it was an offer. So, so now, see, now, now it's funny is, yeah. you know, now you're saying that because I do, I get a lot of actors, you know, we mm-hmm. call them character actors. Yeah. And a lot of them say, you know, you know, like you, you'll hear, you know, I've seen on Facebook, like a story, you know, like right. Larry Poindexter put it, he's in the room and there's Spencer Garrett and there's, uh, you know, um, Starzik and yeah. the, the Starzik, guys, I know Starzik. That whole group. Yeah. But now, but, but they're still auditioning. I mean, did they just, they offered you the scandal and was it just for, was, do you think it was going to be a one-off or was it for a few episodes? I honestly, it's one of those things. It was manna from heaven, Steve. I actually don't know why I got that role. I, I know. It, it, I got the role right after Straight Outta Compton came out, and that was like a number one movie in the in the country at that point, and I have a nice scene in it. So that might have been it. I don't know. And, you know, I still audition all the time. I just saw Starzik this week, you know, uh, at an audition, you know. So I don't know. I honestly don't know. I, got, I just have to be grateful and say... Thank you. <laughs> so, so. Now, in Scandal, you yeah. said you, you play uh, a, a sort of a dickish oh, yeah. senator. Oh, yeah. Is, that, is it a senator or congressman? It's a senator, Senator Gibson. Now, now, when you get the role, yeah. does it say what you're going to play? Or as an actor, do you sit there and do you find a politician that you don't like yeah. and sit there and go, I want to study? Because you don't, I mean, you're an actor, but right. what do you know about being I mean, a, a Politics, you know, right? You know, do you, as an actor, do you sit there and go and look for someone? Let's say, you know, you watch a Republican debate and you go, ah, right. oh, this guy's an idiot. Yeah, yeah. And then you do research. I mean, how do you, how do you prepare for a role? Because it's one of those things, you know, a doctor, mm-hmm. anyone. I mean, not, 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 but everyone knows there's tons of different kinds of doctors. Right, right, yeah. Politician is such a, is a such a straight role, and, mm-hmm. and and it just, even though there's tons of different ones, the public perception is a certain how right. they are. You know, yeah. Like right now with the the the, the with the debates, you know, oh, yeah. and you sit there and you get that certain role, mm-hmm. you know, like, oh, this guy, he's a buffoon. This right, guy's yeah. this. How do you, as an actor, do you take a role like that? Because it's something that, especially now that politicians are so much in the forefront, it's not like you're doing it. And what cracks me up, which still pisses me off is the election's a year away. Okay. Right. I'm like, I'm like, I've seen enough already. You know, <laughs> I can't imagine what's going to happen by a year from now. No one's going to give a crap. You're going to be, what? <laughs> We're going to vote. But I mean, so, but it, it's such, a, it's such in the forefront now. You you have to. That's a role you have to nail. I mean, right, that's something yeah. that you know. Just because people are watching him, as do you, do you research other politicians to do a role like that. Well, it was just... funny how what happened. The way I got that role, and I think maybe somebody got fired. I don't know, but I literally was like, John, you're working on Scandal. You're working in two days. The script's coming, and I got the script, and I was like, oh my god, there's a buttload of stuff to do here. And then what you do as an actor is you start. I'm a I'm a kind of a. a politics junkie so i looked at the clues in this script about this guy he's a republican he finds out that the president's had an affair with an african-american woman and he doesn't like the fact that the president has pushed through this uh, bill called the brandon bill which is a you know uh it gives too much power less power to the police so uh and the way that the, the character was written, too, there was something about it that was very Southern. You know, like, um, 
he would say things like talking and I'll tell you what we're going to do. You know what I mean? So I looked at those things and I thought, well, I think he's South Carolina. You know, I think uh, that's what I think, because if he's Republican and he's offended by this African-American mistress, but he's also got this thing he says, he said, you know, I've had dalliances, Mr. President. We all have. The difference is you got caught. And that's why it's you in front of your knees in front of me and not the opposite. You know, so that that made me go, there's something about this guy that's just Southern. You know, so I, I, I and it's funny how the Southern states are now, they are Republican. You know, so I put, I started, you take all those clues as an actor and I showed up on the set and I was like, where is this guy from? And they said, uh, wherever you want him to be from. And I went, I'm going to make him from South Carolina. And they were like, okay. So, (laughs) and then they started writing for that kind of character. You know what I mean? Now they completely drop all the beginnings and endings of, you know, it's not talking, it's talking. And, you know, they, uh, I'll preface things by saying, God help us all or God bless him or things like that. Now, how do you find the diction for South Carolina? How do you, I mean, it's like, it's like research. I mean, you think, as I said, you know, you, you, you grew up in DC. Yeah. I grew up in Philadelphia. My father was from the Northeast Philadelphia and you know, my dad was from, uh, Maniunk. Okay, well, Manny, yeah. it's funny because yeah. that, that Maniunk is like is like the hipster area now. Right, I know it was the Polish working class when yeah. my dad was and growing. All yeah. those areas were like that, yeah. Yeah. And, and and then you probably know, you know, there's certain words that both our fathers said. You oh, know, yeah. it wasn't a bagel; it was a bagel, <laughs> and it's it wasn't pasta; it was pasta. And beautiful. Oh, yeah. that's beautiful. And use guys. And well, use my guys. dad, my dad didn't say that. My dad was like, because my dad used to say, "If you said use guys, or if you said ain't," my dad would say. That's a Catholic word. He was Presbyterian. My mom was Catholic. <laughs> so he goes, oh, see that? Or my aunt would say, he goes, that, that's a Catholic word. But no, so, but but growing up around that, so if someone says, hey, hey, you know, do a, do a Philadelphia accent, you can see it. New oh, York, yeah. yeah. You you grew up around people like that. Oh, yeah. You went to Rutgers. East, so you Eastern know, Seaboard. Yeah. yeah. But no, so when they go say- go down to see the Steelers. Exactly. Yeah, but right, now, yeah. when you do South Carolina, though, that's once again, not a, of the Southern states, it's not a popular one. Not, it's not popular. I'm saying yeah. that people think- Southern an accent, they probably go automatically Tennessee, Georgia, or Texas, Arkansas. or something like that. Yeah. yeah. So how do you how did how did you pick South Carolina? Just from the certain was you said from the words he said well, when you read it, or just one one reason was because I had very little time and I'd just done a play that what that took place in South Carolina, okay. so I was up on that accent and I love accents, I love them. I now, love what, them. Now what was the play? It, it was called The Wedding Band, uh, a love story in black and white. It was at Antius and it was a beautiful play by a. a a playwright named Alice Childress, who I swear to you, August Wilson stole everything he was from. He made it better, but uh, th- every issue in that play, August Wilson dealt with in his, in his all of his plays. You know, it's it's it, it, it's a beautiful play where they explore the African American experience in this country, and they don't pull any punches. You know, that's what August Wilson and Alice Childress have in common. And Alice Childress wrote that play uh, 15 years before he even started writing. You know, and and basically that play was about uh, a white baker in Charleston who basically in every way, shape or form, except the certificate, was married to this uh, African-American woman who was a seamstress. And they kept, you know, he would live with his mother and his sister, his white mother and his sister, and he would spend the, the rest of his time with his what would be a common law wife, but it was against the law because it take it took place in 19, 1918 against the law. You know what I mean? Completely against the law. And so it's, and that, and it takes place mostly in the backyard of this house that, uh, the African-American woman lives in beautiful play. 
won all sorts of awards. It was just a beautiful, it's a, I don't know why nobody does it. Oh, I do know why nobody does it, Stephen. It's a massive cast. That's why nobody does it. Well, there you go. So, so you you had the South Carolina in your mind. When yes, you did it. I did. And what I did is I went to the same accent coach, and she said to me, you know what, that soft R, don't do that because that's 1918. Use the hard R. So we worked on it together um, and came up with that. Uh, what who center Gibson Gibson is? Right. So. Well, you know it's funny. I'm I, I'm looking like lately my shows have all had like because I've recorded three episodes mm-hmm. have had a little bit of a thing. You were on Judging Amy for a few episodes. Oh yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. And Jessica Tuck was my first guest. Oh wow, well, yeah. So I'm just thinking it's it's that it's that thing. I know everybody you know. I know. Well, you know you know. <laughs> and I'm, yeah. Now now you were also on Cold Case. Yeah. And now I love Cold Case. I, yeah. I've always loved that show. And I'd say. Yeah. You know, I've told a story where I was watching Cold Case one night and it was like a marathon and my girlfriend was asleep upstairs. Yeah. And I couldn't come out of bed because the first the first episode I watched, Reed Diamond, who was a guest, killed someone. Yeah. Uh-huh. And the second episode, Robert Romanus was my guest and it, he was the killer. Uh-huh. Now, did you kill anybody? I stole a baby. Okay, now, so because you, you played a doctor. Right. Now, what year what year did it take place? Because that's what I used to love. I used to love about Cold Case, the music they put in. Like, I'm a big Springsteen fan. They oh, yeah. Springsteen episode. Oh, yeah. yeah. So, so now, now, what was, what? do you remember what year? He, uh, he, basically, what I did was, it was, I stole a child, a baby, from a crib because my wife and I couldn't have children. And the reason why we stole the baby was my wife was a counselor for, uh, addicts and she knew this woman could not take care of this baby so she just decided to steal that baby we decided we'll steal the baby we'll raise it as our own and the cold case team gets a hold of it and they they confront us and we have to give the baby back and we get arrested now is there do they have a young you in that episode or is it all just you it's all just actually it's all just me because the 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 time difference is i think 10 years or 12 years it's not it's not a a, it's not like a 20 30 year thing but do they make you up to age a little bit so a teeny bit they just had me steal the baby in the dark so they put a little color in my hair but that was about it yeah now you've also done some soap opera work oh yeah now now, once again, I know people who say, you know, it's it's also you have to learn your lines very quick. Yes. I mean, so what is it like? That, I mean, what would you say, seeing that you've done theater, you've done TV, you've done yeah. movies, and you've done soap operas or TV, but what's right. what's like the, the learning curve? Like, is it like being a theater guy, is it easier for you to learn all those lines that quick? Or do you sit there and go, because theater, you get the chance to digest it right, yeah. and work on it, and there's rehearsal and rehearsal, right. and you get to really get to know your character yeah. in a soap opera you walk in they go you're gonna do this today you can do this tomorrow you're gonna yeah. do this oh by what you do tomorrow we're gonna give you tonight when you're done today that's right 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 so, yeah. so I mean, what's that like as an actor is it a very is it a, is it a hard nut to break when you start first start doing it you know lines have never been an issue for me the issue with soaps is this you, you bump into something they'll print that you don't you you screw up your lines in a massive way they'll print that they'll use that so it's like you got to bring your best you got to be okay with your b game you know what I mean? That's the thing. You have to be okay with this 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 thing that happens where, you know, like for instance, I I, I just did a, a general hospital where I played this doctor and I get accused of something, and I just went up, I just went up, and I knocked over a pot of pencils or something, and I thought, well, we're going to do it again. Nope, moving on. <laughs> so it's <laughs> just like that, so, that, yeah. that. Yeah, that's fine, John. That's good. That's good. You know what I mean? So it's funny. It's, and I remember one time an actress saying to me, you know what? You got your B game. You got something. That, that's fine. They just want your B game. You don't have to have your A game. 
Just bring your B game and you'll be all right. You know what I mean? So, but, but as an actor, as a trained actor, and as a theater actor, don't isn't it like? I think it would be hard to be like me sitting there coming yeah. in, interviewing someone, going, "Hey, yeah, you know what? The person you have, uh, you know, it's someone's friend's daughter, or you know, like a PR yeah. firm goes, well, if you if you interview this person, you get this person, yeah. and it's like, you know, you, you you still want to bring your A game. Oh yeah. Well, what's fascinating about it is that the guy, the last time I was working, uh. The guy I was doing my my scenes with, he's a regular, very, very good-looking guy, young guy. I get into rehearsal with him, and rehearsal is perfunctory. You go here, you say this, you go here, you say um, Good, okay, now I'm just, we'll, we'll call you when we need you. I'm working with this guy, and I'm going, he doesn't know his lines. He doesn't know his lines. And so I was like, wow, this is going to be a long day. I get on set, he knows I'm cold. And I say to him, in the middle of one break, I go, did you know your lines when you showed up on the set and you were just reading the script? He's like, no, I can look at the lines once and know them. I have a photographic memory. Okay. So that's kind of what it takes. You know what I mean? To do it clean every single time. Yeah, it, it takes has, it. Yeah. It yeah, has yeah, to be hard. Yeah. So now you also were in the show Touch. Yeah. And now that was with Kiefer Sullivan? Yes, indeed. Now, what was it like working with him? I mean, because that's when you're going to that show also, right. you, you know people are going to watch it. Oh, yeah. Because... Because it's Kiefer Sutherland, and it's on Fox, and it's after yeah, yeah. twenty and twenty four was on. Right. So what's that like when you know when you know that people are going to watch it? Does that help? Does that get you excited as an actor? Going okay, because if you're on some show that no one really watches, right, you still got to do it. But you go, I gave my best performance, but yeah, two guys in Tupelo saw it. I did my yeah. best Hamlet in the shower. Exactly. Yeah. Right. So uh, so how how was that? I mean, it was fun. I had a good time on that show. Kiefer Sutherland uh, was the executive producer because he was, you know, he came off twenty four and Fox gave him whatever he was. So he's the executive producer. So he was the king on that set. And we had one stunt where he had to bump into me, and it was, you know, he he he's a hard worker, and he's very clear about what he wants, and that's great. You know what I mean? He knows exactly what he wants, so it was fun to work with. I enjoyed that. Yeah. And now True Blood, yes. Once again, Jessica, my earlier guest, was on True Blood, yes. And we were talking about, you know, the whole vampire, a very oh, yes. very rabid crowd. Yes, right? indeed, a rabid crowd. I mean, they just they just they. Love this. I, I'm not. I have friends who would love to. I, I yeah. never watch it. I just. Yeah. I don't like vampires. It's nothing. I mean, I heard right. it's a good show, but I'm. What's like, the matter with you, Steve? You yeah, don't like vampires. I, I, don't, I don't watch Game of Thrones either. I just yeah. don't. I it's, it's not my taste. Yeah. I don't. I don't like it. You know. Yeah. I mean, I watch. I watch Bloodlines on Netflix because that's right. a good show. But I'm not. I'm like my buddies. I was like, you gotta watch Game of Thrones. I'm like, I just don't like it. Well, yeah. You know, but it's a great show. I'm like, yeah, but I just. Yeah, I love I, it though. I know, it's like, but it's like a bag of Doritos. You know, once you start, yeah, you can't put. Just, you gotta I, finish it. I don't. I don't like the genre though. I, I it's just. It. I don't. But now, True Blood. I mean, mm-hmm. now, did you get? Were you from the beginning on that? I was in the first season. Yeah. Okay. So, so now, did you know it would get like this crazy following because it was a very, very popular. I mean, oh yeah. You know, especially like on Facebook. You know, I always yeah. learn on Facebook when you see people going. There's certain shows like The Walking Dead. Yeah. True Blood was that Breaking Bad. There's certain shows that people. You know, right. I, and I'm surprised that Ray Donovan's not one of them because that's a great show. But it's an awesome show. Only a few people say, "Hey, I'm watching Ray Donovan." You yeah. Know, but but it was like True Blood and all that. So what was that like in that part? Did you think it would have like because it's it's sort of like a pop culture and vampires really blew up. Yeah. I mean, vampires weren't really. I mean, we had Count Chocula. Right. That, that was it. You know. I mean, but vampires grew up. I mean, what was that like being on the show that you know you were in a cusp of of, of somewhat of pop culture? Yeah. What was funny? Alan Ball, who did Six Feet Under, was. Uh, the executive producer on that. And and so he's a big deal. I mean, because he had done Six Feet Under and he's doing his next HBO project. And so, you know, uh, when I got that role and I read the script, I played a Southern 
congressman council member who has the affair with Lafayette. I'm, you know, I'm basically, I go to him for V-juice and I, I also go to him for sex. Right. So uh, I read the first script and I was like, okay, this is going to be sexy. You know what I mean? It was, it, I, and I remember saying to my wife, I was like, you, know, you I am going to be in bed with Lafayette at some point. You watch. I'm, there's going to be a scene with me. In- <laughs> right. <laughs> you know, so, and show enough. So I, I, I enjoyed working on that a lot. That was fun writing. Um, so Now, did you get any backlash? Backlash. Uh, for being in the scene with Lafayette, in bed with Lafayette, when you're a Southern gentleman, did you get certain fans of the show or certain <laughs> people who don't know that it's a show? So, did you get anything like, cause especially now, because it's when social I get an awful going, lot of mail uh, through my agent and through Antius uh, asking for photos. And there are two things that people really love. They love the Star Treks I did, and they like True Blood. So I get a lot of pictures of me in that that they want signed. So that's the only thing that's... I've never gotten any backlash. So. Now, what Star Treks did you do? Let's see. I did... Uh, I played Brathow, uh, who was a Bolian in uh, uh, Deep Space Nine. Okay. And I played Otrin in um, uh, Voyager, um, who was also an alien. Um so yeah, those are the two Star Treks I did. Yeah. Now they're once again same people that you know. Now do you get to go to conventions? No. Why? No. You think you think would you would you do conventions? Oh my God, yes. I, you know, in our company, in Antius is Armin Shimmerman and Kitty Swink, and actually Liz Berman, who is Rick Berman's um, wife. She's she's one of the lead teachers and originators of the incarceration program. That so I'm very involved with Star Trekky people, and I and I. And the amount of money that they make going off to these conventions. And the fact that they get to go there for free. You get to go to Copenhagen for free. You know, tell I, would, me, geez, I would love to do that. You tell me with True Blood, you can't get a convention? I don't think there are true. Are there True Blood conventions? Well, they, they have all these. Uh, I see because they have all these like. Sci- there's more than sci-fi conventions. There's these yeah. monster conventions. There's right. these conventions. Comic cons and all this stuff. Where people sit there and they, they go to see. Like I saw my. Because I know my one friend. She was at one of them. And you see who there would be there. And you're like. I don't even know who this guy is. He's got like a, a weird outfit on. And I'm like, right. he's going to, I mean, True Blood though had a big following. I did. I don't think there's conventions though. I but don't. There's, there's, but they want people from certain shows. Yeah, they do. Should, yeah. Just look into that. That'd yeah, be good. I will. That's a good idea. Now, straight out of Compton. Yeah. Now, what was that? I mean, I, I actually, I, I love the group NWA. I mean, yeah. I, I think they were a great group. I just, yeah. you know, I like, like them. And uh, what was it like to be in that movie? Just for the fact that nobody thought it would make so much damn money. Like right. everyone's like, yeah, ah, it might open to. Eight million, and I have a friend who is my friend Sky Soleil. He played one of the cops. Oh, good. And Which that, one? The the one in Detroit or the one in in, in um, with Giamatti? Giamatti comes out and runs, yells at him in oh, LA. Yes. Oh, nice. And, yeah, that's a good scene. And I was saying to him, I said, right now, I said, you gotta, you gotta get a really good agent. I said because the bottom line is everyone's seen that movie and you yeah. gotta sit there. I don't know if he did. Yeah. But I said, you know, because that's the kind of stuff that an agent will go. Oh, wow, you were in that movie. Yeah. But, I mean, what was it like to be in a movie where you, you probably thought. Uh, a few people will see it, and then right. it just. And, and the funny thing was, and what I think what it is, I think Hollywood was sitting there going, "Okay, only an African American crowd's gonna go." I mean, I'm 52. I all my friends were 40, 40 and up, and we all love NWA, and yeah. we we were in the beginning when rap came out. Mm-hmm. So what's it like when you sit there and, and you're in a movie that you think, eh, not, and then you hear like these numbers, you must go, "Holy crap!" Yeah, I. You know, it's funny. It's that weird thing where you, if you're an actor in this town long enough, you keep your, you keep your ear to the ground. And maybe a week or two weeks before something comes out, you have a sense of how it might do. 
And uh, it was clear that they thought straight out of Compton was going to go to the moon about three, four weeks before it came out. Okay. So, uh, but I didn't, you know, honestly, they hired me to do that scene at 9 p.m. the night before. And my first question to my agent was, he was like, you want to work tomorrow? I'm like, what, is it Pope Holdy? Yeah, I want to work tomorrow. He's like, okay, the movie, Universal. I was like, tomorrow. I was like, tomorrow? He's like, yeah, tomorrow. I was like, who got fired? He's like, mm, I don't know. Oh, but you want to book this? I was like, yeah. So then the AD calls me. Okay, John, we're working on Long Beach tomorrow. And I was like, who got fired? <laughs> She's like, no, you're, you're our guy. And I went, okay. So I have a line, two lines. What do I have? She goes, oh, Ice Cube looks at the script. So you won't see it tonight. You'll see it tomorrow. So I show up on the set. First thing I say to the AD is, so uh, sides? She goes, oh, Ice Cube's looking at it now. I was like, okay. So I honestly think I got a line like, he's dead. Right. You know, I figure that's what it's coming to. As I'm walking to the set, I'm handed the sides. It's a four-page scene. And the first page is kind of a lot of a medical ease. And I'm like, oh, my God. Oh, my God. Okay. I better, I better chew this up right now. Right. <laughs> you know? So I got on the set. And the kid who plays Eze, and I'm basically the doctor who tells Eze and the, his wife that he's dying of AIDS. I... Uh, uh, that kid is pretty remarkable. I mean, he was emotionally full from the moment we started rehearsing and for the next eight hours. At no point were his eyes dry in the eight hours I worked with him. He was amazing. And I think he's one of the best things in that movie. I really do. I think he's he's going to have a heck of a career in front of him. And, you know, he, from what I understand about that kid, he, he, he literally is from the hood. He's from Louisiana. His family was displaced in Katrina. I mean, he's authentic. He's so... You know, he's not some kid from Juilliard, you know. So. That's cool. Yeah. So we're running out of time. So now Scandal. Okay. Now, now, are you are you still going back to Scandal? I mean, it's... it's it's. We're in I'm the- in the Christmas episode. Uh, three of my episodes already shown. I'm in the Christmas episode. And I'm hoping for more. No, no. Your character's a jerk. Yes. Now, are people... Are you getting a mail about that? I'm getting friends who tell me I'm a jerk. So, so now- I... And I, 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 I <laughs> Do you so, like that though? Like when I your friends it. go, man, you're such what a jerk. A, what a scumball. Yeah. Do you like, now? No, was that one of your favorite characters to play? Like it's fun. Jerk? I'm having a good time. I get to, you know, say terrible things and, uh, you know, it's fun. Yeah. So what else is coming up? <sighs> what are you, are you... Uh, you know, uh, at this point I'm, I'm looking for work. I so. know, but, but you still, you do your, uh, outreach. Oh yeah. We have a, uh, my culmination performance of my Shakespeare program for my incarcerated youth will be at Antius December 8th. And that's where we bus in the 30 guys I'm working with at a facility in Chatsworth called Rancho San Antonio. And they they write their own play. Cool. And it's based on Shakespeare. And we bring them in and we perform it at Antius if anybody wants to see it. Well, Get thank- to have pizza with the guys after. Exactly. I want to I I thank you for coming on. Yeah, my pleasure. Uh, now, now, do you tweet? Do you, uh, do you tweet? I don't tweet. You got to start tweeting. I might try to. I keep on being told I should tweet for my guys in the facility, and I yeah. think I'm do, do you have a website? I don't. So, I, how can people find you? I have <laughs> my agent, Green, okay. and Associates. Right. Yeah, right. I'm so. I'm a Luddite, man. We got to okay. get, get, get him tweeting. So, yeah, okay, so good. Look him up. Look him right. up. Go to IMDb and find all his work and go check yeah. his work out and go, you know, and watch Scandal and, and yeah. do all that good stuff. And so, yeah, so it's John Prosky. Look for IMDb. Uh, follow me on Twitter. I tweet. I tweet all the time, uh, especially during the, the debates. I love to tweet. I tweet a lot. Uh, I tweet crazy stuff. Okay. Uh, so it's at Cooper Talk. It's at Cooper Talk. Also, go to my website, coopertalk.net. I have over 430 episodes up. Um, uh-huh. You can also uh, send me an email there, Cooper 
at coopertalk.net. I'll respond, you know, whatever's going on. Um, iTunes, Stitcher, one word, Cooper Talk. You'll find all my episodes there. And if you have an Android app, go to the Android uh, device, go to the Google Play Store. And for free, you can get the Cooper Talk app and that automatically updates when I post to my website. And do that. And also go to my other website, stopthesalt.com. You know, when I had my health problems, I wrote that cookbook. So go. It's low sodium cooking for one, all easy recipes. No pictures to intimidate you. No big list of ingredients. You can get it at Barnes and Noble online. You can get it on Amazon online. But if you go to stopthesalt.com, one, I will sign it for you. Two, I make more money. I make twice as much money if you buy it from stopthesalt.com than those other things. So do that, okay? So please do that. Remember, follow me on Twitter. I'm Steve Cooper. I'm only as hip as my guest. Don't forget, drink your water, eat your vegetables, take your vitamins. I will talk to you guys next week.